Find Galatians chapter 5 in your copy of the scripture. Galatians chapter 5. And for those who have not been with us on Wednesday nights, uh, what was early on in the book of Galatians, what was the big issue? What was Paul writing about? The Judaizers. And was this a true, true doctrine group or a false doctrine? False doctrine. What were they saying? I have to be Okay, that, uh, well and good that you have Jesus in your life now, they were saying, but he's not enough. To be saved, you need the Old Testament, the, the law, and specifically circumcision. You need to add all that together uh, in order to be saved. And Paul said, that's no gospel at all. That's a false gospel. Because we believe in grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Christ is sufficient. And of course, as we've been pointing out too, the issue of circumcision, certainly not an issue today, uh, but the principle is nonetheless the same. There are people who believe that Christ is not enough, that you, you need Christ plus something else in order to be right with God. And again, that's a false gospel. And so that was what Paul was arguing about in the book of Galatians. And for a number of weeks now, we've been in more of an application section and looking specifically at the ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And we've just been going through those one at a time. And so instead of looking at one passage of Scripture, one unit of thought, one pericope as it's called, and going expositorily down through that, because we're looking at one word, we've been bringing in other passages and other places that supplement uh, what the Bible has to say about that one word. And tonight we're looking, of course, at gentleness, the surprising power of gentleness. Uh, let's pick up reading again, though, just for the sake of context. Let's go all the way back to, uh, to verse 16. And we'll read down through verse 23. Paul says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this... I haven't been doing that. You had that problem? Yeah. <laughs> I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Just bring your headset, not the power pack. It's it's probably this this headset. <laughs> Where was I? Okay. 
I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's our word tonight. It's also the New Testament word meekness. Some of your translations may say meekness instead of gentleness. Same word. And self-control. Against such things there is no law. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. How about that? What? Give me just a second. That's awful, isn't it? Did you feel that, Sonia? Yes. You were teaching. You were teaching. So you feel my pain, right? Yes. Was there something going on next door with the sound system that maybe they were doing something over there? Okay. Now, Glenn, this one is not as sensitive. The, the slide that's closest to you on that board, there's probably 15 slides. The one closest to you, keep running it up until it picks up in the speakers a little bit. Testing. One, two, three. One, two, three. Testing, testing, testing. Here we come. Good. Okay. Great. Not too loud? Maybe a little loud? A little bit lower? Okay. Good. Thank you, Glenn. Okay, that's better, isn't it? Yes. Good. Man, where were we? Just <laughs> yes, thank you. You know, uh, I read the story about a woman who was being tailgated by a man that was just all kinds of stressed out. And uh, suddenly the light turned yellow, and rather than rushing through the light, she stopped. Still had a good bit of the yellow, but she stopped. Well, he was already on a bumper and not happy because she wouldn't go. So as you can imagine, he was pretty, pretty enraged now. Well, he, uh, he hit the horn and just laid on the horn. He was screaming in frustration as he missed the chance to squeeze through this light. And as he was still in the midst of his ranting and raving, there was a tap on his window. And it was a police officer. <clears throat> and the officer had witnessed the whole thing, and he asked him to step out of his car. Uh, he handcuffed him and put him in the back of the police cruiser. Well, after about 10 minutes of being on the radio with dispatcher and checking things out, the man got out of the police cruiser, opened the back door, let the man out, and uncuffed him and said, you're free to go. Well, the man was aggravated being held up, and he demanded to know an explanation of why he had been detained. And the officer said, sir, I was behind you while you were tailgating the woman, and I noticed how you were ranting and raving and just, I mean, just going crazy and blowing your horn and shaking your fist at her and giving obscene gestures. He said, I noticed the Choose Life license plate holder that you had, the sticker that said, what would Jesus do? And the chrome-plated fish on the trunk lid and so I naturally assumed that you had stolen this car. <laughs> you 
You know, unfortunately, there's oftentimes a gap between what we say we believe and how we act it out, right? I think of what Paul said in Romans 7, verse uh, 15. He said, For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? Sure. Well, what's the answer? The answer to that struggle is found in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, verse 16. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. As we walk by the Spirit and are filled with the Spirit, we are able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. We've been talking about this list saying it's not that you go out and pursue each of these individual aspects of the fruit. But what you do is you pursue walking in the Spirit, abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit. And He produces these things in us. That's the key. And so we've been in this little mini-series within the series of the book of Galatians for a while and looking at this ninefold fruit of the Spirit. And we've talked about how some of them also represent the communicable attributes of God. There's those incommunicable attributes, qualities or characteristics of God that belong to God alone, things like His omnipotence, He's all-powerful, that cannot be said of anybody else, but then there's those communicable attributes of God, things like love and joy and peace. Uh, attributes of God that he expects us to emulate, like, like father, like child. So we are to bear these qualities too. God bears them perfectly. We can't bear them perfectly, but nonetheless, we are to emulate them because there's to be a family likeness. And the Bible promises us that God helps us in our Christian walk. We're not involved in the Christian life alone. And I'm glad of that, aren't you? That we don't live the Christian life in our own wisdom and strength. Because if we tried to do that, we would surely fail. Well, as we move on in this list and look at tonight's word, gentleness, we need to understand it's a very rich word in the Greek language, the Greek New Testament. And uh, it's a word that's really kind of difficult to capture by just one single English word. And that explains some of the differences that we see in our English translations. Different translations handle it differently. Uh, your translation may say humility, or it may say meekness, or it may say gentleness. Any of those are suitable and capture the Greek word. Now, you know, this is a quality that is polar opposite of what we see being demonstrated in the world, right? Some of you may remember a book from 1977 entitled Looking Out for Number One, written by Robert Winger. Uh, it was a bestseller for more than 25 years. And uh, 
The book, I guess, was so popular because it articulated what is so popular in society. Looking out for number one. I'm going to look after me and what I want. And obviously, the fruit of the Spirit and gentleness and meekness is polar opposite of that. Somebody once made a keen observation about that book. He said, I honestly don't know why anybody today would go out and buy the book uh, since just about anybody in our culture today could have written it. We see self-centeredness and aggressiveness all through our society. We live in an entitlement culture. Everybody feels like they're entitled to the best. So meekness and gentleness doesn't stand much of a chance, does it? And yet, meekness and gentleness make up part of the profile of the believer, the follower of Christ. I want you to look at three things tonight. First of all, we're going to see gentleness examined. The Greeks who knew anything about their famous philosopher Aristotle were knowledgeable about this particular word. Aristotle had a theory that a virtue is the mean between two vices. Rage was a vice that reigned, reigned supreme at one end of the spectrum. And uh, indifference was a vice that reigned at the other end of that spectrum. And he said that planted firmly in the middle was the virtue known as gentleness or meekness. He went on to say a meek person is neither too hastily tempered nor too slow tempered. Meekness does not get angry with people it ought not to get angry with, nor does it fail to get angry with people it ought to get angry with. The man who is meek is the man who feels anger on the right grounds against the right persons in the right manner and at the right moment and for the right length of time. At all times, he will err on the side of forgiveness. Well, he didn't get it all exactly right. Uh, after all, he was a pagan Greek philosopher. But in some things, he kind of came close uh, to describing what this is. Uh, let's, let's look at it, how, how it would be examined. We could say that someone who is submissive to the will of God is displaying biblical meekness or gentleness. A meek person is one who realizes that they are nothing and they have nothing and can do nothing apart from Christ. They recognize that without the grace of God, they wouldn't be saved in the first place. And because they're nothing and have nothing apart from Christ, they realize that life is not about them. Life is about God. Life is about the will of God. You know, it's sad to think how many people think life is about them. But the person, again, displaying true biblical meekness realizes it's not about them. You know, apart from fellowship with God, we would have to agree with Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes that all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If life were about us, it would be vanity, it would be vain. 
If making wealth was all about us, or if that was the end goal of life, it would be vain. Solomon says from the human point of view, there is nothing new under the sun. We live, we work, we die. And so how arrogant it is to think that life is all about us. Now, on the other hand, the biblical worldview, uh, we know that life is filled with meaning and purpose. It's the meek person who realizes that his destiny is not about him, but it's about God and that we are to live in such a way to give God glory. That's what life ought to be about. The meek person is the one who purposes to live for the will of God. Now, that's the attitude that really strikes at the meaning and the heart of this biblical word meekness or gentleness. I think of Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane being a perfect example of this. Here he was about to face the horrors of the cross, the suffering of the cross. The Bible even says he was swaying drops of blood. But even at a time like that, what did Jesus say? What did he pray? Not my will, but yours be done. He was submissive to the Father. Not my will, but yours be done. That's meekness. In other places of the New Testament, I think of John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus said, Father, I have done your will. He was the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the second person of the Godhead. And yet he had perfectly submitted to the will of the Father. He did not seek his own in life. He came to do exactly what the Father wanted him to do. Well, if we're walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, walking in the power of the Spirit, that is something that should be able to be said about us, that we're meek in that sense, submissive to the will of God. It also, the, the meaning of the, the Greek word has to do with somebody also who would be moldable and teachable. Now, from the world of athletics comes a perfect illustration of this. A team player is somebody who's always working in coordination with the other players and the coaches. And he understands that the coach is wiser because the coach is looking at the big picture. He's just playing his position. And so he's got his position in mind, and yet he understands that the coach sees the big picture, and so he's moldable and teachable, and he listens to the coach. He may be one of the biggest talents out there, but he's multiple. I think of somebody in past NFL history from what, 15 years ago maybe? Probably one of the best players to ever step on the field in his position. But no team and no coach could ever deal with him. Terrell Owens. Remember Terrell Owens? With the 49ers and then the Eagles? One of the most talented wide receivers ever. But life was all about him. And the team was, should be all about him. The game was about him. He wasn't moldable. He wasn't teachable. 
And so no coach and no team got to where they even wanted to. <coughs> In our spiritual lives, are we moldable and teachable? You remember the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 18? God speaking through the prophet. And he told Jeremiah to go down to the potter's house because he had a lesson for him there. And Jeremiah went down to the potter's house and he saw a potter working at the wheel. And the clay pot that he was making was flawed. And so the potter was able to crush it in and then remold it, remake it into something according to the potter's wheel. And God said, can I not do that with you, O house of Israel? Are you moldable in the hands of the Father? Are you teachable? Are you meek? Also, this word has built into it the idea of someone who is considerate of others. Paul really illustrates this over in the book of Romans, Romans 14, where he's talking about some gray issues, some gray areas in the Christian life. What do we do when we come to those areas that aren't plain black and white, where there's not a commandment for it or against it, but some of those delicate situations in life? And he, and he talked about the same thing to the Corinthians. And you remember what the issue was with the Corinthians where Paul was having this discussion? What? The meat and the idols. The meat sacrificed to idols. Uh, because Paul says, you know, I know that I can go down to that pagan, pagan meat market and buy meat that was sacrificed in the Greek religions, the Greek and the Roman religions, sacrificed to a pagan god, and then they would make it available at the meat market for a special price. Paul said, I know there's nothing to that idol. So as a Christian, I can go down there and buy that meat. Hey, good stewardship. I save a lot of money. But then if I've got a weaker believer over for dinner that night, and he learns or she learns that that meat was sacrificed to a, a pagan idol, they might be greatly offended. And so Paul goes into this elaborate discussion that he would have the right and the privilege to, to go ahead and eat that meat, and yet what was his conclusion? For the sake of my weaker brother or sister, I won't, because I don't want to cause them to stumble. I don't want to do anything to cause a fellow believer to stumble. <clears throat> That's the attitude that we're talking about here, about being considerate to other people. Not just thinking about your own personal rights and wishes and wants. But do you live your life in such a way that in the body of Christ, you think of others. You think of their needs. You think of what might be offensive to them. And even if you think I could do something like this, yet you know it would cause some to stumble. And so you don't do it. The biblical word here also has that nuance to it as well. And so it, it carries all these meanings. 
Somebody submissive to God's will instead of just living out their own desires and will. Somebody who's moldable and teachable. And somebody considerate of others. <clears throat> this is meekness. Now, I want us to move on to see how it's illustrated. I want to talk first of all about some word pictures that, that we glean from this word. There's some fascinating word pictures in, in the Greek that describe this. And uh, these word pictures really help us to understand more of, of the, uh, the meaning. And I'm going to give you three. Uh, first of all, this word was sometimes used to describe a gentle breeze. Now, we all know how destructive wind can be, right? Take a hurricane, for example. Just tears up everything in its path. But then think about being a hot summer day and you're out doing yard work and all of a sudden there you are sweating, you're tired, you're exhausted, can't believe how hot it is, and there's a cool, gentle breeze that blows in. That was one of the ways this word was illustrated sometimes. One of my favorite ways this word was illustrated, meekness or gentleness, was talking about a horse that had been broken. You take a horse that nobody can ride and nobody can do anything with it. It's a strong animal, but you can't really channel that strength into anything good or positive. It's a wild animal. You break that animal, is any of the strength gone? No. But now it's usable. You can either ride the horse or you can do things with it on a farm, working and so forth. Strength's there, but it's been meeked. It's been gentled. It's been broken. All of the strength is still there, but it's usable now. And then a third way that this word was illustrated in ancient times was medicine given in the right dose. Too powerful of a dose of something can kill you. Too weak of a dose of something may not do you any good whatsoever. But the dose right in the middle, the proper dose for your body, your weight, the proper dose, they would have described it as the gentle dose or the, the meek dose. It was right. It was proper for you. And so that's how the in the ancient uh, Greeks, how sometimes this word could be illustrated with some word pictures. Let's think about some Bible characters who are described as meek or gentle. It would be Moses. The Bible says of Moses that he was the weakest, the, the, the meekest man up until his time. Was he weak? No, certainly not. I mean, he had killed that Egyptian taskmaster. And then after God got a hold of his life, he went to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in that region at that time, and Moses went toe-to-toe -to -toe against Pharaoh and said, God says, let my people go. 
And then when he came off the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, he saw people sinning with the golden calf, and he smashed the stone tablets. He took the golden calf, ground it up, and he, made, and he poured it in water and made people drink it. And yet the Bible says of Moses that he was meek and gentle. How about David? David faced off against Goliath and slew him. He was a warrior. The Bible says of David that he was a man of bloodshed. And yet when he was fleeing from Jerusalem after his son Absalom planned a violent takeover, a man who had been a supporter of Saul came out and began cursing David and throwing rocks at David. And David's men said, David, you want us to just go and kill him? And you remember what David said? Leave him alone. Let him curse me. Because maybe the Lord has told him to curse me. And it may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing that I am receiving today. David responded with meekness and gentleness. And the greatest example of all would be that Jesus. Jesus cleared the temple, threw out the money changers. Imagine doing that. Grabbed a whip. Faced off with the Pharisees, called them whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. He was a picture of strength. And yet Jesus said, come to me for I am lowly and me. I'm lowly and meek. So when we're meek, when we're gentle or meek with the biblical sense of it, we're in good company. Moses, David, Jesus. These are men in the Bible who, who displayed the surprising power of gentleness or meekness. Now let's talk about gentleness acquired. You say, okay, if, if one of the aspects of the ninefold fruit of the Spirit is gentleness or meekness, how do I acquire this? Well, as we've been saying, you walk in the Spirit. And we could also add to this Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus said, link your life up to His and learn of Him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. Think about what a powerful image that is. They would take a younger ox and link it up with the yoke to older, stronger, wiser animal, sort of on-the-job training, right? So Jesus is saying that we're to link our lives up, to, we're to take his yoke upon us and link up to him and learn from him. And we will not find him burdensome. We will find his yoke easy and his burden light. He'll never put on us more 
than we can bear. Sometimes you might think he gets kind of close, right? But he'll never put on you more than you can bear. And he says here, I am gentle and humble in heart. By daily being in the Word of God and in prayer and letting the Spirit of God conform us to the image of Christ, we will become more and more like Christ. If we'll walk with Him in discipleship, follow Him, we'll become gentle and meek, more like Jesus. You see, there's a lot of the world in us, isn't there? We want to be first. We want to have power over others. My way. Sort of like Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way. We think that's strength, but it's not. But Jesus says if we link our lives to Him, and His yoke is upon us, we'll be humble and gentle and meek. And again, that only happens as we walk with Him. And as we allow the Lord to uh, sand off those rough spots in our lives, and we allow, through the power of His Spirit, these communicable attributes of God to be more and more formed in us. And as that happens, gentleness and meekness will be one of the things we'll see more and more that's a part of our lives. Well, lastly, let's talk about gentleness rewarded. I want you to think back to the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the same word that's used here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. One of the more popular pastors in America has, has said this. He said, we know the meek shall inherit the earth one day in the future when Christ comes back and we, we reign with him. But he goes on to say, look around even now to see how God is weaving this principle also into the present. He said, look at the dinosaurs. They ruled the earth. Where are they today? They're gone. Logically, wouldn't you say that there would be more lions and tigers in the world than lambs? But there are sheep and lambs on a thousand hills, but the lion and the tiger, they're about to go out of business. In places, they're almost extinct. Then he writes, wouldn't you say there would be plenty of owls and hawks and eagles, birds of prey? Logically, wouldn't you figure the sparrow and the dove are in trouble? But the protected birds of prey are the ones in danger. The lowly sparrow multiplies day after day. And what about man? Take the freeways, for example. Look at all those pushing and shoving. Look at all those pushing and shoving their way through life and bullying their way through life and putting themselves first. They tend to die of heart attacks and strokes. It's the man who's under control, humble, meek, lowly, gentle, that just seems to go on and on. Albert Barnes, an old commentator, very respected by many, said, it's also seen in common life that a meek, patient, 
mild man is the most prospered. An impatient and quarrelsome man raises up enemies, often loses property in lawsuits, spends his time in disputes and brawls rather than sober, honest industry, and is harassed, vexed, and unsuccessful in all he, in all he does. Now, we know that's, that's not a perfect analogy that's always 100% true, but... Does seem to be a general rule, doesn't it? Paul says here the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Jesus said we're, we can be fruit inspectors. Fruit inspectors. We know that we're not the ultimate judge, He is. But Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, you shall know them by their fruit. And so as you look at your life, do you see things like gentleness? In fact, look over that list, everything we've said so far in this list. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We'll talk next week about self-control. Against such things there is no law. The ninefold fruit of the Spirit. As you look at your life and examine your own life before God. Do you see these qualities a part of your life? Or would you have to look up at the previous list about those walking in the flesh, all those ugly vices there, and say, you know what? My life looks more like that. The scripture says, if we say that we know Him, we should look a little more like Him, right? Are you gentle? Are you meek? Are you submissive to God's will? Are you moldable, teachable? Are you considerate of others? Would those nuances to this word describe you? <clears throat> Can God change your course or is life all about you? Are you humble and meek before Him? Years ago, there was a proud young Navy captain with his first assignment. And there was a light up ahead. And the young captain had his communication person send a message to the source of the light. And the message was, this is the captain. Change your course. Well, the response came back change your course. The young captain didn't like that. made him angry. And he responded. He had another message sent. I said, this is the captain of this ship speaking to you. Change your course. And the message came back. Captain, 
this is the lighthouse. <laughs> you change your course. <laughs> Are you meek before God? Humble, gentle before Him in that sense. He can change your course anytime He so desires. You're submissive before Him. Or do you want to fight Him on everything? Do you want your way, your will? You want your agenda? Are you considerate of others? Or are you harsh towards them? Antagonizing, unbending, critical. Fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. It may not seem like it from the world's way of looking at things, but there's a surprising power to gentleness done God's way. Amen? Anything you want to add to this? Anybody? Before we have our prayer time. Richard? Yeah. I was thinking in a husband and wife scenario, the um, I know I know from from experience I should say, uh, you know the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. That became Mary Ellen's one of her favorite verses. What what happens is, um, you know, you have a disagreement and you're both, you know, kind of like butt butt heads. And if there would be yelling and nagging and everything, my ears would just shut down. I wouldn't even hear things she would be saying. And even if she was right, I wouldn't hear what she was saying. Because Confession of what she was saying. Because of the way she was saying it. And then, um, so, you know, when uh, uh, she, you know, and she became more and more, that, that verse, she got more done. <laughs> she got her way, even when I disagree with her sometimes, you know, uh, you know, and because she was more gentle, and, and I didn't shut down, I listened, you know, so I just say, it's so true, you know, it's so true. It's good analogy in marriage, yeah. one that, Everybody in here can certainly relate to probably. Okay? Anything else? I know from our I can have anything I want if I ask kindly. Nah. Maybe we need to explore motives there. <laughs> Is that meekness or gentleness? I've done gone to meddle and have might not be really the right motive. But you you can get ahead even in, in your office work. Sure. If you do it as kindly. Sure. You go ranting and raving. You shut down like bridge. <laughs> yeah. 